Oh man, you were really enjoying that new tea I got. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a it's pretty good. Is a new blend or yeah, it's a Russian blend. Got it shipped in the uh, other day. Chamomile, no polonium. Oh well, yeah. hey, it's pretty good. Huh? Yeah. You know, mind if I have a second cup? Oh yeah, yeah. Just finish that first oh, one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. delicious. Hi, right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, what's up? Welcome to another episode of the Sons of History podcast. I'm Dustin Bass. And I'm Alan Joaquin. Yes, you are. How that's, are you feeling? Yeah, you know, let's move this one along because I'm kind of feeling a little woozy, but yeah, you know, yeah it's probably just some stomach bleeding. Yeah, yeah it's fine. Some, something yeah. I ate. I think, it's some strong yeah. tea. I'm, I'm not gonna. It'll it'll keep you up for for nights. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm, It'll give me that uh, get, up, get up and go. <laughs> yeah. Like I gotta get up and go to the. You bathroom. will definitely get up and go. Yeah. You know? And if you're uh, if you're saved, you'll be going to see our uh, good Lord and Savior. Um, all right. Well, we've got a great episode for you. Um, I'm excited to have this conversation. I'm always I always look forward to the conversations about some of the worst people in world history, and this one is going to be about Stalin. Uh, in at least uh, a bulk of the conversation, do you like having conversations like that, or do you prefer like Hey, can we talk about maybe Winston Churchill or your favorite FDR, Woodrow Wilson. Well, yeah, I actually I do kind of like talking about Stalin because nobody else does. You know, we're just sitting and thinking, are there any movies yeah. really that that show Stalin in a bad light or or the Soviets? Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are. I just there can't, are. I can't think but there's of any. Not a, well, a there's lot Red. Of there's Red Dawn, but yeah. uh, and I'm surprised that one was even made and remade. Yeah, and remade. Although yeah. that was North Korea that attacked <clears throat> yeah. in the second one, but uh, yeah, I mean they um, didn't want to make the uh, Russians look bad. I guess. I, I guess I, I don't know, or maybe that just you know there's such communism in Hollywood they don't want to make communists look bad. It's a wild time that we're living in. But Mr. Jones, uh, that was a book that put Stalin in a bad light. That came out I think about two years ago. Very good movie if you've never seen that one. I know this is not movie book and movie recommendation, but since you had mentioned, uh, that one is actually a really good movie. Um, and it talks about the, the, uh, the Ukraine, um, famine and everything. So, Hmm. yeah, quite, quite good. Definitely worth the watch. All right. And we can't really talk about the book and movie yet, but we can talk about what happened this week in history. All right. Uh, for me, since we're going to be talking about Stalin in this uh, in this episode, mm-hmm. I thought this would be a good time to talk about the uh, what was known as the Katyn massacre. Katyn massacre. Um, what happened? You have to go back just a couple of years. That in, uh, in you know everybody knows that Germany invaded Poland in 1939 on September the first. But what a lot of people don't know is is that the Soviets also invaded Poland, and that happened on September 17th, one day after they finalized their agreements with a war with Japan. There was kind of an undeclared war with Japan, but September 17th, the uh, Soviets moved in and they took over uh, Eastern Poland. Now. About two years later, uh, in June of 1941, June 22nd, 1941, the uh, Soviets were invaded by Germany. The Germans, they signed a non-aggression pact, but they invaded the Soviets, stabbed them in the back. And it took a couple of years, but on April the 13th of 1943, there was a mass grave found in the uh, Katyn Forest, which is near uh, Smolensk, which I believe today is in Belarus. Um, there were about a little over 4,400 uh, bodies found in a mass grave. And uh, now the Germans brought in the International Red Cross, and what they discovered was is that these were, uh, you know, Polish uh, civilians and military, the intelligentsia, military officers who were murdered, and they were, and they were uh, buried in a mass grave. Now, mm-hmm. that, that was kind of a bit of a problem because... You know, back in uh, after 1941, um, the Soviet Union and the Polish government in exile in London were on the same side. They were supposed to be allies. And you know, you know, the Polish after the Germans attacked the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. the uh, Poles said, "Hey, now you know to the Soviets, hey, now that we're friends, you know all those prisoners of war you captured in 39, can we have them back?" 
you know, maybe we can fight yeah. with you. And the, the Soviets were like, well, all those guys, they escaped, um, you know, to uh, China and, uh, yeah. yeah, so, uh, uh-huh. or Ukraine or wherever mm-hmm. it was that they actually, no, that, I think it was in China, yeah. they said that they, that they had escaped to. So we, we don't yeah. have them. And then well, underground tunnel. Yeah. So, well, it turns out that now, now they assume they, there, there's a prediction that a lot more than 4,400 were, were killed there, mm-hmm. they they estimate somewhere between twenty to twenty-two thousand Poles Yeesh. were murdered by the Soviet Union. A lot of them because you know these guys were not going to be communist. Mm-hmm. Um, they they figured you know what if if Poland is ever given a regular government again, uh, we can't have these non-communists alive. We we need to fill the government up with the uh, with the uh, communists and the uh, Polish government of exile. And the Soviet Union broke diplomatic relations shortly after that. Oh. And the Soviets were like, okay, we're going to have our own Polish government. And they did. And that's how they ended up becoming communist after yeah. uh, they took over. Crazy. So that happened April 13, 1943. Oh. Speaking of April 13th, I've got one just a couple of days before that, but also April 13th, too. Um, April 11th, 1814, my good old buddy Napoleon Bonaparte uh, is involved. This is the Treaty of Fontainebleau. Fontainebleau? Yeah, something like that. Uh, the Treaty of Fontainebleau is signed on April 11th, 1814. This brings the hostilities to an end during the Napoleonic Wars. And this is also ratified on April 13th, two days later, by Napoleon Bonaparte. Um, and with that comes his exile to the Isle of Elba. Elba. Um, so he's there for a while eventually escapes the island, goes back to France, runs into Paris, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, he's back. Thank God. Let's go back to fighting. And uh, that lasts for a little while until the Battle of Waterloo, the famous Battle of Waterloo, and everything comes crashing down. And then he's exiled for the second time and for the last time, and he dies at St. Helena or Mm -hmm. Helena? How do you say it? I don't. Exactly. But it's in the Atlantic Somewhere like somewhere between it's Africa, out there. yeah, it's between like um, Africa and yeah. South America, just south of the equator, if I'm not mistaken. And you probably not aren't. Been you there really lately, are. You know, that's what I love. That's what I've learned over the years doing the show with you is to mm. never question you ever while we're recording, and when we're not recording, question you at all times. All yeah, right, that's well, my favorite type of macaroni. The uh, the Elba. Melba macaroni. Elba. I love that. That's right. You know, that's, that's how the whole... Uh, have you read the book, uh, The Count of Monte Cristo? No, but I've seen the movie. Oh, okay. Well, you should read the book. It's pretty good. But I that's should. why uh, Edmund Dante... Mm-hmm. Dante's... Dante's? Dante's. Yes. Dante's. That's why He's he was exiled, uh, thrown in prison yeah. at the Chateau d'If or uh, Dief or Diff. Because they suspected Bonapartist, you know. Anyway, got to get rid of them. Yep. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that is this week in history. So we have a a couple of guests today that uh, wrote a book about our favorite Uncle Joe. Yeah. Stalin, you know. You know, he doesn't get enough credit for all the massacres and death and destruction for the uh, World War II. He's portrayed as the good guy, but, you know, he was a bit of the same ass as uh, Hitler was pretty much. You know, the current Uncle Joe is not getting enough credit for all the, the mayhem that's being caused either. Well, you know, that's... Yeah. Uh, but in, we, at, we don't in remember, his defense, yeah. he has no idea that he's even in charge of anything. No. So, uh, yeah, Uncle Joe, we're going to be talking about oh Uncle Joe, the man with the great mustache, yeah. and the devil in disguise, actually. Yeah, not a great disguise, except for the mustache and the great slicked back hair. You think I'd look... No. Maybe, maybe if it's thick enough. You think? Yeah, I, I would try it. Maybe I should ask Laura. Yeah, she would uh, see if she would. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Doubtful. You know, highly. Yeah, should we mention that we have an audience member? We do have an audience. We have our yeah. first audience member. She's uh-huh. uh, sitting somewhere down there. You can yell yeah. hello if you wish. Okay, there we go. <laughs> oh, isn't that lovely? All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, we've got John L. On. Wow, that John. Is a tough name to say. John O'Neill. We've got John O'Neill who's going to be joining us. Um, and speaking of people in the background, Sarah Wynn, I believe, is going to be uh, with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think that she's going to be like up front. Well, you uh, know what they say about every successful man. 
Yeah. Is yeah. a... Uh, his mom is going to beat his ass. <laughs> exactly. As a lady forcing him to get to work. Uh, so John O'Neill is the co-author of The Dancer and the Devil, along with uh, Sarah Wynn. Uh, he is also the author of The Fisherman's Tomb and the New York Times best-selling book, Unfit for Command, about your old pal, John Kerry. John uh, F. Kerry. F. Very, Kerry. Yeah. 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 Put that F in there. Out of Massachusetts. Senator. Yeah. What a fantastic... Who, who, by the way, was in the exact same fraternity as George W. Bush. Yeah. And they were there at the same time, and they were both the candidates in 2004 for a Wild stuff. Yeah. What are the odds? Speaking of wild stuff, we've got John O'Neill saying it properly uh, and correctly. John O'Neill on the line. John, how are you doing? Uh, it's it's good to be here. I'm honored to be on, on your podcast, Dustin. Hey, you got it. We're honored to have you, and we're looking forward to this conversation. We discuss Stalin for sure quite often, and um, so it's going to be pretty cool. And we'll talk about Putin too. So, uh, uh, But before we uh, get into all that, I, I do want to ask you, uh, a couple of events have occurred in the uh, Soviet Union, such as there was a, uh, a bubonic plague Came out, I think it was in '39. Um, the towns or the cities of, uh, and I, I know I'm going to butcher the name, Yekaterinburg, and then in Kiev, where there was either it was suspected or confirmed that something was released, some kind of biological agent similar to Wuhan right now with the COVID-19. So, you know, what what's your uh, thoughts on all that? That's exactly what happened. Uh, the, the, the great source is a guy named uh, Kenneth Albeck. Albeck was the head of the Soviet bioweapons program. He was number two throughout the 1970s and 80s. He defected. He wrote a book called uh, Biohazards. And what actually happened is in 1972, anthrax escaped into the sanitary sewer system of Kiev for the first time. It matured into a, through rats and stuff into a form of anthrax called anthrax 638 in Yekaterinburg out in the Urals, the very same place that the Romanovs had been killed. In 1979, exactly the same thing occurred, a second escape of anthrax. It killed over a thousand people. The Soviets claimed that it was due to tainted meat and they shot dogs and they tried two butchers for selling tainted meat. But as Albeck discloses, it was, it was the, they actually caught the biowar Chernobyl. It was it was a, a leak of anthrax, and it got into the water and sanitary sewer systems. It killed a thousand people. Now, what are your thoughts on Wuhan and the uh, present COVID nineteen? That's because uh, I I suspect, although I don't have the proof, because you know I'm not a biologist or a <laughs> or a scientist or anything of that sort. But or, uh, or you know, Supreme even John Stewart, who's a uh, He's even saying, come on, guys, we know that Wuhan released something into the air. So yeah. it just seems to be a pattern with the uh, communist movements. I think that John Stewart said, if you go to Hershey, Pennsylvania, and you see chocolate go on the street, it ain't from a cocoa being immigrated from uh, Brazil. And he's exactly right. Uh, the first thing to understand about communist China is they have the largest and most sophisticated bioweapons program on earth. They have 14 different labs, including a huge bioweapons lab, not a bio lab, not a lab to study diseases, a lab to weaponize viruses and bacteria. They have a huge one in Wuhan. These are listed in appendix to the book that the government, US government put out years ago. Uh, so Wuhan, where the virus appeared is, um, you know, it's a site of tremendous bioweapons. The guy who discovered it in Wuhan was a doctor, Dr. Lee. He was arrested for disclosing state secrets when he disclosed the outbreak on the internet. And then he died shortly thereafter, supposedly of the disease, although it kills in less than one and a half percent of the cases. The virus itself, the Wuhan, I'll call it the Wuhan virus, the COVID-19 virus is 96% exactly the same as a virus that was transported from a cave in the Himalayas to the virology lab at Wuhan back in 2015. 4% is different. 4% has never been found anywhere in nature. There is incredible evidence that what they did is take the bat virus that was discovered, brought to the Wuhan lab, moved it to the military lab, 
and then use CRISPR and other tools to edit it, to add things like a, a proton hook to make it more communicable. I personally believe they were in the process of conducting vaccine tests and it escaped, but how it got released, I don't know. I, I need to tell you though, it's really important about the 1977 virus that escaped in China, which has become known now. In 1955, the whole world got a virus out of, it was called the Asian virus out of China. Okay, that happens. Well, what happened in 1977 is another virus, the 1977 flu virus went all the way around the world. And what puzzled people is the 77 virus was exactly the same as the 55 virus. This is like Dustin of 40 years ago being Dustin today, it can't happen. Viruses mutate, particularly flu viruses mutate. So people said, wait a second, someone took the 55 virus and they preserved it in their lab in China. China said, no, not us. We don't know anything about that. In 1994, the head of their virology program uh, and cited many medical journal articles came out and said, hey, fellas, yeah, it was us. We took the 1955 virus. We had it in storage. And in 1977, we were running um, vaccine tests with our military and it just escaped. And, and got out. And that's how the 77 virus traveled all the way around the world. Now, the only reason you run vaccine tests on a virus that exists only in cold storage in your laboratory is to develop a, a debilitating biological weapon. There's no other reason to do it. And China's loaded to the gills with 14 of these uh, laboratories doing this. Yeah, I have a hard time um, trusting the Maoists and the Stalinists and the, and the communists. I mean, call me uh, naive, but yeah. Well, speaking of now, <laughs> yeah, tell me about that one. Um, everybody who studied history knows who uh, Joseph Stalin was, but who is Anna Pavlova? Anna Pavlova was history's greatest dancer. In, in 1900, she first began to become famous. She was thin, she was small. They rejected her when she started off, but she could express emotion greater than anybody. People said she flew. And uh, the, a lot of the great Russian ballets were designed for her. And her most famous was the, was the uh, Dying Swan. In 1904, she became very famous at the Imperial Ballet. She actually went out and protested against the czar. So she wasn't approved. In 1911, she formed her own company, began going all over the world. She danced in, uh, for example, in Mexico City. Uh, uh, Villa and Zapata said, we'll kill you if you go to Mexico City. She danced at the Plaza de los Toros, uh, the bullring in Mexico City in front of 32,000. And she invented the national dance of Mexico. She was the most famous international star in the world, roughly circa 19. 20, 1925, 1930. She did one movie and only one, although Hollywood kept trying to re-sign her. The New Yorker picked that out as the greatest one-time performance ever by an actor. It was called The Dumb Girl of Puccini. Um, she was to the world Russia, and she still to this day is the greatest of all ballerinas. Uh, she inspired Audrey Hepburn. Um, there are 37 biographies of her. Uh, she is the, the grand dame of all ballet. Hmm. Well, you mentioned Mexico City. 1940, wasn't Trotsky murdered with a special lead poisoning? You know, ice pick. He was, actually, uh, <laughs> he was murdered at, on Stalin's orders. And the guy who organized it was part of the Yasha Ring in Paris. His name was Naham Eidinger. He was called Stalin's secret sword. Uh, he was... Married to a, uh, not married, he, is, he was accompanied by a woman named Miska, who was incredibly beautiful and who operated with him. He's the guy who got the uh, Spanish assassin to go to Mexico City. The guy actually got a uh, ice pick and drove it through uh, Trotsky's eye. And that's how Trotsky was killed in Mexico City. Yeah. All he wanted was a drink. And, mm. you know, he got, he got one right in the eye. Now, the, would you, how does, uh, Anna Pavlova's her rise to fame and then her tragic death sort of um, exemplify the change from imperialist Russia to communist Russia. Well, what really happened, um, <clears throat> it, it, first of all, 
Stalin started a poison lab in 1921 called Lab One. It's how all these biological weapons all began. There was a, you mentioned the leak at a Cottonburg. There was an earlier leak at Saratov in 1939. Uh, what happened is the guy who was in charge of the Saratov bio war project came to Moscow at Stalin's request. He stayed at the Hotel Nacional and he began coughing. A doctor went to the Hotel Nacional and he said, my God, the guy's name was Berlin. My God, Berlin, you've got, you've got pneumonic plague. We haven't seen pneumonic plague here in 300 years. Well, everybody, everybody died who was exposed to pneumonic plague, but he was within a few hours of communicating it to the entire leadership of the Soviet Union. The only way that story became known were brave people in Russia smuggling that story out. And uh, so that was one of many, but what she did, uh, the reason Stalin hated her so much is of course the Russian ballets were typically, you know, the Nutcracker. They're all about royalty and happy times and Swan Lake with the dark prince and so on. And uh, Stalin couldn't, Stalin's message was to destroy the past. He, he who uh, they said in the Soviet Union, we know what the future is. We just have to keep relearning the past. And so his idea was to control totally ballet and the arts. He said that, for example, the word God, it became illegal to use the word God in Russia. And he said it would never be used again after 1935. Um, so he controlled language, he controlled completely the arts. He had this little ballerina dancing free all over the world as the face of Russia. That was exactly what Stalin couldn't take and couldn't tolerate. And that's why he had to kill her. Of course, Russian ballet suffered terribly. Stalin sat in the Bolshoi. The, the great center of Russian ballet had been at the Marinsky in, in uh, St. Petersburg. Well, to the degree there was a center, it moved to the Bolshoi and he would actually execute the book outlines some of the people he caused to be executed because he didn't like what they were doing. In 1924, a guy brought back the old Russian ballets. He was executed. Um, it was a reign of terror, even in ballet, even in a thing as simple as ballet. So you highlight in the book uh, the creation of these poison labs under Stalin. What's the correlation between those labs and the current regime under Putin? What happened is... Uh, in 1972, the Soviet Union and all other nations in the world signed what's called the Biological Warfare Convention, outlawing all biological warfare. What happened in the Soviet Union is it was a start button, not a stop button. And they launched a program called Project Enzyme. That was the biggest bio-war project in history. They were spending more money on it than they were spending on nuclear weapons by the, by the late 1970s. Uh, meanwhile, everybody else disarmed. The same sort of advanced program occurred in China. China began huge biological warfare labs and so on to investigate this. They called them special weapons. The theory was that there was a nuclear stalemate. You couldn't launch nuclear weapons on someone else. You'd catch them back. But you could develop special weapons, weapons that couldn't be detected. And maybe that's how you could actually project power. And so Project Enzyme went forward under uh, Gorbachev and under Yeltsin, they were to some degree abandoned. And then they took off in spades again under Putin. So you had things occurring like in 2012 in the presidential debate in Russia, Putin's communist adversary said, you've let the army go to pieces. And Putin said, that's because you don't know about our genetic weapons. You have occurrences in the Soviet Union like Ebola breaking out in Siberia. Ebola is a tropical disease. And you've had other defectors out of the Soviet Union. In China, exactly the same sort of stuff has happened. I told you about the 1977 flu epidemic. These are terrifying, horrible weapons. Uh, if you take a thing like uh, COVID-19, we don't, it's mutating very rapidly. We don't actually know what the end game is. It doesn't seem to be on, you know, operating in the same way as a natural virus. Typically, a natural virus gets um, more communicable, but less deadly. This one is mutating very quickly and, it, and erratically, and making it difficult to immunize against and vaccinate against. And uh, so this is a terrible thing for the world. And we've actually just got to wipe these out. 
we've got to get off of this uh, game. It's a self-defeating, crazy thing like nuclear weapons. Now, speaking of, of correlations, um, and, and the Stalin, uh, Putin correlation, Stalin, as you mentioned in the book and as, as historians, uh, the world over have made very clear, he and Mao were the great butchers of, of the world, of, of world history. Uh, Putin is former KGB. He now um, is is over over the Russian Federation. But what is what's the exact correlation between Stalin and Putin? Because myself, I mean, it's it's hard to put them on the same level because Stalin was such a demonic, diabolical figure. So what's what's the correlation? Well, first you need to understand that. Uh, Putin's grandfather was Stalin's cook and taster. Putin's father was an exterminator for the KGB. His job was to follow the Red Army through the Ukraine and to shoot people in the back of the head who were politically unreliable or who they thought were had collaborated with the Nazis. So when Putin speaks about we need a denazification of the Ukraine, he's a chip off the old family block. Putin has said that the collapse of the Soviet Union was the most uh, terrible event, the saddest event in human history. Putin's mentor in his early days, um, Putin, by the way, has never been in war. Putin avoided the Afghan war in by staying in East Germany, very safe, as Stalin avoided all war. Uh, he's much better at sending people to war than actually fighting himself. In any event, Putin's mentor was a guy named Slobin, Sloblak, and Sloblak was the mayor of uh, Leningrad, later St. Petersburg, and Putin was the vice mayor. Well, Putin leaped up and became the uh, prime minister of Russia. And right after he became prime minister, they asked Sloblak, "Who tell us about Putin? Who is Putin?" And he said, "Putin is the new Stalin. Putin is the new Stalin." Two days later, Sloblak died of a heart attack, and both of his bodyguards had simultaneous heart attacks at exactly the same time. This is a guy who starts exactly like Stalin did with retail poisoning, and he moves into mass poisonings later on. Stalin began by uh, poisoning people like Tikhon, head of the, of the uh, Russian Orthodox Church, and Dzinsky, who was the head of the KGB, and likely Lenin, as our book outlines, a lot of scholars believe now that Stalin actually poisoned Lenin. And so he began as a retail poisoner and then moved into a slaughter of human beings. It's exactly the same pattern that our friend Putin is following right now. He poisoned person after person on sort of a retail basis. And now I was, I was <laughs> this is the morning paper today, uh, you know, on the slaughter occurring in Buka in the, in the Ukraine. And so you're watching exactly the same pattern as uh, Stalin. Stalin, of course, was, and Putin has been clear. He believes that Stalin is his hero. Wow. Wasn't Stalin murdered, possibly poisoned? He was, and it's outlined in the book. It's really very, very interesting. Uh, Stalin, according to Professor Jonathan Brandt of Yale University, got actually access to Stalin's archives in the early 1990s. Stalin was actually in the process of preparing for a nuclear strike on the West, a first strike on the West. We'd all be living kind of in ashes if Stalin had managed to complete his dreams. And he calculated and determined that Russia would lose maybe 20 or 30 million, but less than World War II. And he would then be in control of the world. Well, his underlings, particularly a guy named Beria, didn't like that at all, nor did Khrushchev and Molotov. They thought it was sort of crazy. And so Stalin prepared a purge. A purge with Stalin always started by cutting out the underling guys and then moving up to the top guys. So Beria's underling guy went to jail. Khrushchev's underling guy went to jail. Problem is, much like Putin, um, Stalin had tasters. Stalin was surrounded by 300 bodyguards. What, what could you do with Stalin? Well, the solution uh, and the documents here, oh, great. Um, thanks to Professor Brandt and some autobiographies, the um, solution was a, a poison called warfarin. Warfarin is a 
is a blood thinner. It's used now for people with blood clotting problems in very small amounts. But what warfarin causes is stomach bleeding. And so you slowly bleed to death in your stomach and you don't even know there's anything wrong. And so if there's a taster, the taster gets a little bit, he goes off, he's fine. Uh, but a cumulative dose of warfarin is what killed uh, Stalin. Um, Stalin's autobiography, I mean, uh, autopsy was put out and it deleted the actual cause of death. What Professor Brent found was the actual original autopsy, which shows massive stomach bleeding. Later, both the Khrushchev autobiography and the Molotov autobiography published in the 1990s said that Beria, who, who was arrested six months later, tried and executed, Beria kept saying, you can't do something to me. I saved your lives. I killed Stalin. So there's abundant evidence that Stalin actually was uh, murdered. Now, as to the actual facts of his death, as he died, the best uh, authority is his daughter, Svetlina. And Svetlina actually observed her father's uh, death. He was sort of semi-conscious. If you can believe this, Barry was applying uh, leeches, you know, 18th century leeches to Stalin supposedly to help him. Now, the guy's bleeding to death in his stomach, but... At any rate, he was semi-conscious, and right before he died, he sat up, began screaming, waving his hands, and then he collapsed and died. Fedlina thought that he had, was actually watching the angel of death come to haul him off, and indeed, if there was anybody that deserved to be hauled off, it would definitely have been Stalin. Hmm. You know, this kind of reminds me of a story, and I, I don't know if it was ever confirmed, but... Um... Napoleon Bonaparte, people say that he looked preserved when uh, they, they unburied him, and they think that maybe he had arsenic poisoning? Absolutely. They, they've always thought, there have been great, I'm, I'm no expert on, but I have read the articles and so on that claim that the British, um, the claim is that the British uh, poisoned him with arsenic. Of course, there were a lot of medicines with arsenic in those days. Huh. Well, I wouldn't want to be the president of Ukraine right now or his uh, family. Yeah, and uh, you keep irritating me, you will wind up with some Didn't you bleeding. serve me some tea earlier today that just kind of tasted funny? It tasted weird for yeah. a very, well, very <laughs> whatever. Polonium feeling a little already? bit of uh, yeah, 210. Yeah. Well, John, yeah. hey, this was a fascinating conversation. Um, your book, The Devil and the Dancer, is just a, a fascinating read. Uh, thank you so much for, for you and Sarah Wynn, your, your co-author. I believe she's somewhere around. <laughs> I'm here. Thank you for letting us participate. <laughs> You're welcome. Sarah is the, you know, is the one who knows every single... I mean, if you guys had asked me, how do we know such and such was poison, Sarah could tell you. She read the trial transcript in 1938 of Marinovsky, I mean, of, of whoever it was. 1955 in the case of Marinovsky. Marinovsky was the guy that ran Laboratory One who, who uh, killed people like the Wallenberg, you know, the missing man of history, the guy that saved so many Jews who Marinovsky used as a test rabbit in 1947 and executed in Laboratory One, killed him uh, with a poison called C4, trying to make it uh, useful for poisoning people. Um, Sarah's the one who knows all of that. He's being kind, but there's a place you can learn lots. It's our website, www.dancerandevil.com. And uh, we've got photos there to you know supplement all John has talked about and lots more information about the book. And you can pre-order signed copies there. So if you have any questions, you can head to our website. Guys, what you would really enjoy doing, I just discussed. There's a, uh, you can go right on the web and find the Russians had what was called the AP Journal, the, the bioweapons project in Russia back in the Soviet era and Stalin's era was called the anti-plague uh, project. That was all a cover for developing things like anthrax. But the people who participated in it amazingly have a journal that's sort of like, you know, an old military, you were in the 101st, you remember <laughs> in France, the 101st, they actually have a journal exactly like that. And they described killing the dogs, for example, in 1979 at a Cottonburg. I just, uh, I noticed that it's sort of amazing. And they say, you know, it's wonderful we have this journal because if we didn't have it, why no one would know what we did. You know, everybody <laughs> would forget. So it's a, it's a strange socio, uh, you know, uh, 
sociopath exercise. Um, I mean, how, how are you a poisoner? How do you develop uh, bioweapons? How do you live with yourself doing something like that? I, I actually have one more question. Uh, but before I ask that one, the, hung the Hungarian person, by any chance, was that the Swedish diplomat that was in Hungary? Yes, he was. Uh, uh, Raul Wallenberg was a Swedish diplomat in Hungary in 1944. And he went out and passed out with no authorization, Swedish passports to almost 80,000 uh, Jews. And he started, uh, he rented big areas and said, this is the Swedish library, this is this. He even got people off the train to Auschwitz. He saved 80,000, including a couple of congressmen, who people who ended up becoming congressmen when they grew up. Well, he was picked up in 1945 by the Soviets. And then for uh, 50 years, people said, where's Wallenberg? Uh, Reagan gave a great speech at the United Nations ending up, where's Wallenberg? Well, the truth of what happened to Wallenberg became known in the 1990s. What happened to Wallenberg is he was in fact picked up. He, the Russians had some hope of trading him uh, for agents or for somebody else, and he didn't. So they sent him to their poison lab and they, uh, I guess you've lost me, huh? No, 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 you're good. You've still got me. Well, they actually sent him to their poison lab in 1947, and he was used as a test subject for poisons. And um, that was confirmed by the Soviet Union in the 1990s, but they still refused to produce for the Wallenberg family. He has a brother who's 98 years old. They still refused to give him the actual test records and the actual interrogations of Wallenberg, I guess, because his death was so terrible. They don't want people to, to realize how horrible it was. Yeah, he'd be, he became recently, I believe it was recently, an honorary American citizen with Lafayette and Galvez and all that. But He was. In, the, uh, in Budapest, there's a fabulous Wallenberg statue. The Russians forced the people of Hungary to give a, make a statue as a matter of treaty, thanking the Russians for taking over Hungary. And the, the Hungarians have surrounded it with shrubbery. So you can't see the Russian statue anymore. They leave it there, but you, you would have a very hard time finding it in Budapest. And then outside of it and close to it is the statue of Wallenberg. Um, so Wallenberg lives on in history, even if they killed him in that lab. Now, my last question, and I, I, having this discussion made me want to ask you this. George Patton, my hero. Uh, stories, he was recovering from his accident in December of 45 and then took a nosedive. And I, I just don't have information on that. I, I, I mean, any suspicious uh, poisoning, you know, you, you have to look into uh, completely. But I don't know. Uh, I, I didn't run into him in the course of the research we did. Um, so I can't, you know, I, I can't. I do believe that the Soviets used poisons and biological warfare on the Germans. Uh, I know, for example, that they got a lot of the physicians at Auschwitz, move them to Laboratory One and uh, debrief them, getting all the hints that they could get. And then they use them as test subjects. They actually, probably good riddance to them, they use them as uh, to test poisons on. But as to Patton, I didn't run across him in the research. Did you, Sean? No. So my uh, last question, and it doesn't have anything to do with the book. I thought this was what you were going to ask um, because you were talking about the correlation of how Putin is sort of walking in the footsteps of, of Stalin. And you're talking about uh, poisoning, creating poisons and, you know, the, the, the journal about the dogs and different things like that. And we have sort of a situation with our very own, like Dr. Fauci with the NIH and the things that they are doing to animals as well. Um, just some really sick stuff. Do you see anybody following in some really weird footsteps um, here in the U.S.? I got to say, I, I was oblivious to all of this until I got into this whole subject matter. Uh, I'm horrified by the treatment of animals in, in testing by Big Pharma, by the NIH and so on. It's I guess it's somebody else's cause, but it is uh, horrifying. You know, the in Laboratory One, they actually tried to produce they took uh, women and they actually implanted 
chimpanzee embryos in them to try and produce a, a mutant species. And uh, of course they concluded that, that, that animal testing didn't give them good enough results in terms of poisons, the toxicity of poisons. So they moved into actually using real people. Um, but the treatment of animals is horrifying, absolutely horrifying. And, uh, but you, you know, in here at least, we, I think we all think that people are important, that they, uh, that we care for one another, at least I hope we all do. You sadly are dealing, when you deal with, uh, with Putin's Russia or with or China, you're dealing with a deal where those are human beings even are just human material. And so animals are, are irrelevant. As a matter of fact, dogs were outlawed in China until fairly recently. You couldn't have a dog. So what happens when you play God? You're going to. Yeah. Yeah. You play God, you turn into the devil. Hey, um, John, thank you so much uh, for joining us. This has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. Um, and just thank you again. Thank you all. I've really enjoyed, enjoyed your questions and enjoy your podcast too. Well, thank you. We appreciate that. And uh, if some Russian guy hands you a cup of tea, just uh, uh, politely <laughs> decline. And <laughs> Well, I'm at 76. They, they're only taking away three or four years, so it's okay. <laughs> you know, it's okay. <laughs> you know, it's in the game. But thank you all very much, and, and good luck to you. You know, I, I that was uh, pretty enlightening, which mm -hmm. um, makes me wonder about this tea. I would wonder about it too if I you, were you. You said this is a Russian blend. Yeah, I'm not no. concerned. I don't drink it. Okay, yeah. well, um, you know, if something happens, yeah, yeah. everybody anyway, will know. <laughs> but you know what? I, I'll, I'll let's talk about the let's right. talk about yeah. the, the guest that we just had. Um, that was, uh, you know, it's pretty scary to sit and think that, you know, the, the way wars, the way we can fight wars. Although the whole thing with Ukraine kind of puzzles me a bit because he's fighting it. You know, Russia. Uh, Putin is fighting it in a very conventional manner, but, you know, he probably could have done the same damage, gotten rid of the Nazis, as mm -hmm. he likes to put it, using, you know, some kind of a biological agent or, yeah. or, or something. So, you know, they have been doing it. They, you know, they've poisoned many people. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the whole Polonium uh, uh, 210 thing yeah. is real, you know we're real well known and you know we had that uh that that um um critic the reporter who, who he was a critic of putin mm -hmm. he died in london yeah um you know and throughout history and you know the things that he was saying were well that's were, what's, were that's what's frightening to me is that he was lining up how stalin started to how putin has started mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know it's it, it, i mean yeah, you can fight you can fight a war with a biological agent and and wipe out your enemy before they even know that you've started a fight. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's scary. You know, George Washington, he made sure that his soldiers were all inoculated with the smallpox mm -hmm. uh, because he knew that smallpox could defeat the, the yeah, uh, revolutionary, could defeat them in the Revolutionary War. <laughs> little, you know, just little tiny agents. Little, yeah. That's so, all uh, it takes. But, you know, I, I didn't realize the extent <laughs> to what the uh, Soviet Union and even Russia, you know, I had a feeling about China, but, you know, he mentioned some of the things about what uh, Red China was doing. So... Mm -hmm. Um, it's not a good, good thing to see, you know, what it is that they're trying to do and how yeah. they're, how they can win a war without even shooting a... And what really irritates me gun. is the naivete of people in power or the pretended naivete where if you, like what John was saying, they captured the 1955 virus and use it again 22 years later, the exact same one, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Well, now that this is, this is taking place and it's, he was saying 96%. Um, of of the virus that was found in that cave uh -huh. and then moving it in and then utilizing it, what, five years later? You know, and people were like, oh, no, it's, you know, it's just from, uh, you know, people eating bats and stuff. Like, what kind of BS are you just ingesting? Like, stop. There are bad people in this world, you know, that have zero power and then there are bad people who have a lot of power. Well, guess what? The people in power in China and the people in power in Russia... Not good people. You know, what, what frightens me is, you know, the things, and I'm glad you mentioned uh, Anthony Fauci. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's, he's pretty much the documents that, uh, that are coming out. The whole gain of function, 
gain of yeah gain of function that's um yeah. what he's saying no 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 we didn't do gain of function yeah. well he's saying that because that's his interpretation of gain yeah. of function but but everyone who's in science knows what gain of function exactly. research is and that's exactly what wuhan is doing we've been partially funding it right and you know the media our government many people in our government they don't want to find out where this virus came from they mm -hmm. just shut up we're going to, you know, oh, oh, you have an account on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Yeah. We're going to shut, it, shut down it down because you're you're giving out this disinformation. So hopefully and, Elon Musk can have something to do with that I, as far as like I was reinstating happy. some of the stuff. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. That's and it. I, I hope hopefully that it's a huge plus. Well, I hope that they're, you know, I know uh, Dr. Rand Paul, a senator, is really trying hard to get the information out because mm -hmm. if if we if these if this type of research is going on and we can confirm that the uh, Wuhan virus, aka COVID-19, actually came from the Wuhan lab, mm -hmm. then that means that they are indeed um, tweaking with the virus to make it more lethal. And I'm not going to say that that's an act of war, but that's an act that, of war. Yeah, that is an act yeah. of war. So, All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's move on to our book and movie recommendations. Now, I say that because you and I could probably go on for the next 30 to 45 minutes discussing all of this insanity that's going on, but uh, maybe for a time where we, it's just you and I. Just you and I, sharing our love together. Ooh, man, I hit that high part real well. All right, well, book and movie recommendation. Uh, book recommendation, obviously, is The Devil and the Dancer. I think it's a very important book to read. Uh, because it takes you from, you know, turn of the 20th century up to more or less today with like Putin, Xi, um, and, you know, your buddy over at North Korea. Um, so, yeah, fantastic book. I think that's anonymous, synonymous, yeah. unanimous. Unanimous, um, yeah. Between you and I, my movie recommendation. I know I've recommended it before, but it is a great film. It's a dark comedy, very dark comedy. Um, the Death of Stalin. If you've not watched this movie, I will also reiterate Mr. Jones, uh, too. But uh, The Death of Stalin, fantastic film, very funny, such a dark comedy that it is like, yeah, this is probably how it was in real life. Because all that that's taking place is really more or less how it happened, uh, but with a lot of dark humor dialogue in it. So go check that movie if you haven't seen it yet. Yeah, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend uh, you know the same book, The Devil and the Dancer. Yes, it is unanimous. So um, you know, I, I I think that maybe certain senators need to read that book also. Yeah. Um, because you know, and, and that's gonna lead into my movie of the uh, movie of the week movie recommendation uh -huh. is is that. Um, and, and, you know, and what's his name? Dr. Uh, Jordan Peterson mentioned... I you were going to say Dr. Yuvago. Well, no, I'm going to mention that. Dr. <laughs> Dr. Jordan Peterson was talking about how everybody knows about the Holocaust. Everybody knows about the concentration camps. But, right. but you know, how many people know about the gulags? Exactly. Um, you know, it's uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. I've been saying that for a long time. Yeah, they're just I, not... I, I posted that about a year ago, maybe a little more. I was like, parents... Ask your kids, ask your kids who are in school if they've, if they know about the Nazi concentration camps and then ask them if they know about the Gulag. Yeah. You know, I mean, Poland was invaded by three countries, Germany, Slovakia, and the Soviet Union. Um, no one talks about Slovakia, but no right. one talks about the Soviet Union either. Yeah. And, you know, and then they, they didn't stop there. They took over the three Baltic nations you know, which is why they don't trust the Russians, mm -hmm. Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, which is why they became members of NATO. They invaded Finland. You know, there was uh, mm -hmm. the Winter War was fought yeah. there. Uh, they they invaded. Which uh, prove the Finland, the Finnish know how to freaking fight. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't mess with them. Not in not in the snow at least. Uh, they invaded Eastern uh, Romania, which today is known as Mo Moldova or something like that. <laughs> I like know. how you said that. Moldova. Romania. Oh, yeah. Romania, yeah. Mulva. Eastern Romania. It's a mul mulva, mulva. You sounded like Audrey Hepburn from My Fair Lady. Did you ever see that movie? No. Anyways. No. I've seen I, Breakfast at Tiffany's. There you go. Which that'd, I was going to name Breakfast at uh, Debbie Gibson's. But, yeah, Breakfast know. at Debbie Gibson's. Yeah. Truman Capote wasn't there to back me up on that one. So. No. 
Anyway, all right. So my leading to my movie, and the reason why I'm going to talk about this is that there are not there's a lot of movies about Germany, you know, the Nazis, but there's other than okay, and that's where I'm going to go to Doctor Zhivago. Doctor Zhivago is my recommendation because there are no, or at least, and there and there are very few movies that show the communists, mm-hmm. the the Russians, the Soviets as bad people. I mean, yeah. you got Red Dawn, yes, right. But Doctor Zhivago shows, um, you know, you have Omar Sharif, uh, Julie Christie, you have Rod Steiger, and one of my favorite all time actors, Sir Alec Guinness. That's right. I love that. I love guy. Sir Alec. You know, Ben Kenobi, and. Uh, that guy in uh, Bridge George, on, he was George, Bridge on the River Kwai. He was on Lawrence George of Smiley. Lawrence of Arabia. He was George Smiley. Was it? Yes, yeah, yeah. I think I believe so. Yeah. But it's funny that David Lean, the guy who did Bridge on the River Kwai and Lawrence of Arabia, also directed uh, Doctor Zhivago. Could have won Best Picture, but The Sound of Music beat them that year. Dang. Yeah, well, The Sound of Music was a little bit more upbeat. Doctor Zhivago, but you know, Doctor Zhivago. You know, watch it. It's good. Anti-communist, anti-Nazi, who wins? Oh, that's true. That's true. But, you know, also... Hey, they both deserve to be shunned by humanity. But Dr. Zhivago was cold and bleak, whereas... It was. Very depressing. But, uh, you know, Sound of Music was, like, upbeat and, you know... Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, Dr. Zhivago, watch it. You'll like it. It is long. Um, Great music. Great but, acting. Yeah, great acting. Great, great. storyline. Yeah, yeah just great story. Movie. So, uh, you know, the, the scene the where the, that Russian officer was trying to talk to the lads, the Germans are right over there, and then they kill him. They just, it's pretty. Did you see that scene? I've, I saw it. I had to have. Yeah. I saw the whole movie. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, it was kind of like, guys, we're being invaded. But they're like, kill him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because we're done fighting. Yeah. Yeah, sick. All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for this episode. We hope that uh, you and Laura enjoyed everything uh, that we've put together on this one. But you need to come hang out with us. You need to like our stuff, Mm -hmm. comment. Uh, Now, if you try to troll us, we will strike back, as we have done. We'll give you some some tea with... uh... (laughs) Watch it. Yeah, Alec Baldwin. Russian Russian blend. Yeah. All right, so where can people find us, my friend? Well, they can find us on Facebook, like us, Instagram, follow us, uh, YouTube, subscribe, 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 and we're on Rumble also. Rumble, yeah. And finally, we have our very own website, www.thesonsofhistory.com, where we, are we going to serve the new polonium tea that you... uh, Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You can buy it in bulk. Okay, all um, right. Ship it's it right uh, Putin recommended. Shoot, yeah. shoot it right, send it right back to Moscow. Um, and if you are listening on a podcast, do us a huge favor and subscribe. Then also leave us a rating and review, preferably five stars and a glowing review. That is it for this episode. We'll talk to you later.